today we are going to end the series, The Name. We've uh, spent the last three weeks talking about the names of God. First week, we talked about the one name that God gave himself, which is Yahweh, okay? He, he, that's the only name that God gave himself, other than, I guess you could technically say Adonai as well, is one that he gave himself. But Yahweh um, is the one that he gave specifically when he spoke to Moses. He said, I am that I am. When, when that's translated into the Hebrew, it's Yodhed Vadhed, which is where we get the word Yahweh, because we added A and E, because the Jewish people would not say the vowels when they would talk about the name of God. They felt it too holy and reverent. So actually, we have no clue what that name actually is. When we get to heaven, we will. That's the kind of the cool part. Uh, so there's, there's like a little secret. When you get to heaven, you're going to know what God's name is. Uh, right now, we're just guessing. Um, and then the last two weeks, we've uh, took uh, different names of God. There's many, many, many throughout the, the, book of, uh, the books of the Bible that were attributed called uh, by his followers things like Jehovah Jireh, things like uh, Jehovah Nisi, which we didn't talk about, which is uh, his banner over us, uh, Jehovah, um, uh, the ones that I didn't preach on are the ones that I'm thinking of, uh, uh, Yahweh El Roy, which I'll talk about a little bit in, in this message, which is uh, the God who sees me. Uh, we talked about the, the God of hope last week and the God of joy last week. If you missed any of these weeks, I'd go, I encourage you to go back, go on our Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon Music, our website. You can uh, look at all of them there uh, and listen to them and, uh, and catch up. But you don't need those three weeks to understand this week. Uh, this week, I want to specifically talk about the name of Jesus, right? The whole reason we celebrate Christmas. Uh, what, it, what makes Jesus' name so powerful and, and purposeful? And so uh, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament to understand Jesus' name. Okay? So Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If not, you can follow along on the TV screens uh, up here. Uh, most, I think all of my uh, scriptures are from the New Living Translation today. Uh, and there's only two segments that are kind of big, this being one of them. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. It says this. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. I feel like they're talking about today. Amen. Like, isn't that a good, like, even back then, like, God was giving us promises all throughout the scripture. Like, when we think that the dark times are always going to last, like, he, he, when I read, I was, this was not going to be included in my, uh, my scriptures originally. And I read that, I was like, oh God, you're speaking to us today. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Now here's where you may be going, well, how is this a Christmas message, right? Here's the part where I think most of us will uh, know this part. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that uh, for just this short time where we focus in on you this morning, it's it, that we are focused on your purpose and plan for our lives. God, open our hearts to hear your word, to be challenged, corrected, changed, equipped to do what you have called us to do. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, see, we, we get to this part of the scripture in Isaiah where, where we all know it's, it's, it's probably spoken not just in churches, but you see him in commercials, you know, for unto us a child is born, uh, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and we know that part, but when you get it in context of, of it's really interesting. 
it's, it's not hard to fathom or blame the Israelites for reading this scripture or hearing Isaiah when he first prophesied it and going, well, geez, our Savior, he's going to come mighty in power, strong on a white horse, ready to kill people, because that's what they expected. They expected a Savior that was going to come in and rule from a government level down. This is what they want. This is why they this is why the Jewish people missed the Jesus because Jesus came and he fulfilled this prophecy but he fulfilled it in such a way that they were not ready for. Because they read this and they go, "Yeah, our nation which has always been in slavery and then come out and then slavery and then come out, he's going to ruin that. He's we're never going to be slaves again and he's going to rule the government and this and that." And and he comes in and he does all of this, but he does it in a way that is so like Jesus, which, is, which means that it's so unlike what we would want it or think it would be. See, this scripture is literally the birth of hope. The birth of hope. I think so many of us, we walk through life and we're trying to force things and we're trying to do things. And we have to realize that if we hope in ourselves, if we hope in what we can do, it will constantly fail. There will be seasons of success. Listen to me. You can do things successfully without God. But you cannot live a successful overall life without him. Jesus was named many things. Listen, I could probably do a whole series on the names of Jesus and the attributes of Jesus. King of Israel, son of man, bright and morning star, chief cornerstone. The list could go on and on and on, and we could be here till like next Sunday if we wanted to do all the names of Jesus. But I'm not going to do that to you, I promise. I'm going to focus in on this scripture and one other about the name of Jesus. It's that simple. So let's look at what this set of scripture, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, calls him. Okay? He calls him four things. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. What does that mean? Why are those names, out of all the things that you could attribute to Jesus, important to the prophecy of Isaiah? But let's look at him. Wonderful counselor. I thought about this one long and hard because how many have gotten bad counsel in their life? <laughs> like, if you haven't, you haven't lived long enough, right? Like, like there, we've all gotten like, and, it's, and, and not all counsel that's bad sounds bad at the time. Like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then you get in and you're like, oh, God, that was the worst advice I could ever get. What was wrong with it? Because here's the deal, and this is what I've learned through my, my short 38 years of life, is that everybody wants to be able to give advice, and they want it to sound good, and they want it to sound wise, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is good advice. It just means that it, it's flowery. Or they want to be yes people, you know, uh, Sky, you know, hey, should I just quit my job and travel around the world? <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? It's, that sounds like a good idea. Trust me, me and Stephanie have thought about that over, like, listen, when life gets hard, we're just like, let's sell it all. <laughs> We've got a trailer. We'll, be, we'll, we'll become YouTube stars. You know, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? But it's not wise. It's not good counsel. So it begs the question, who or what is counseling your life? What gets to speak to who you are, to what you do, how you live your life? Who has that invitation? Here's what I hope you don't. I hope that you don't let, just let anybody speak into your life. Well, hey, if you got advice, I'll just take it. Like, I'll just collect them all, and, and we'll just figure out, you know, if I end up in a good place, and <laughs> it was good advice. No, 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 no. This is why he's called Wonderful Counselor. Because what sets your foundation gets to build your house. What sets your foundation, so what, 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 what is the foundational aspects of wisdom that you were given? What set the foundation of my life in Jesus? And, 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 and I would love to say, like, yes, I grew up knowing God, and, and, and I'll get to a little bit about that today, but um, I understood God from a knowledge aspect, but I did not understand the experiential part of God, the part where I got to experience his presence and experience his wisdom and experience those moments where he was radically changing my life. I knew of him, but I didn't know him. And so what set my foundation was, you know, good grades, uh, uh, 
whether I was liked, um, whether I was, you know, a sport. And I've told you this before. My, my identity was athletics. That was my identity. I was, I was a, a, a athlete. And when I walked away from athletics in high school, I went through an identity crisis because I didn't know who I was anymore. And so many times we identify by something we do or something we're good at instead of who's pouring into our lives. What sets your foundation? Builds your house. Who gets to pour into you? Who gets to speak life? Who gets to speak into counseling? And I'm telling you, if it's not first and foremost God, his word, Jesus, then I promise you that eventually that foundation is going to shift and it's going to shake. And when tough times happen, everybody that has good advice is going to run. Oh, well, that didn't work out. (laughs) Glad it wasn't me. Right? And then we're sitting there, we're like, Where's, where, where are you? Where, where's my friends at? Well, you know, all of a sudden we're going through a Job moment because, because nobody wants to be held responsible for the bad times. Who's your counselor? Who gets to speak into your life? Who gets to, to pour into who you are? Then he's called mighty God. We have a God who is strong and mighty, one that defends us and disciplines us. We like the defending part, the mighty God that defends. We're not a big fan of the mighty God who disciplines, right? But, it, but it's interesting because like, even now as a father, I know that my job is not just to defend my house, but it's also to discipline my house, to set the course of my house in which we will walk. And you don't have to like that, but that is my job. And if that's my job as an earthly father, then how much more so is a mighty God not only going to defend us, but discipline us? And not discipline because he doesn't like us, but give us disciplines in which we live our life. The question becomes, are we living in his might or ours? It goes back to the counselor thing. Who's counseling you? Who gets to speak into you? Well, what might are you living in? What strength are you living in? Ever been, and listen, I I ask this question almost as a stupid rhetorical question because it is the season that I believe everybody has walked through in the last two and a half years. But how many have just felt wore out, ran down, felt like every turn is, is, is just another chaotic turn and you're going, when does this end? And sometimes it's because we're trying to muster the strength to do it on our own. God has to bring us to a place where we can't do it on our own. That's not good. Nobody likes that. See, does our pride and ego tell us not to live a certain way, do a certain thing because we could be looked at as weak? Can I tell you that one of the the greatest aspects of your Christian walk is to get like Paul where he says, in my weakness, you are made strong. In my weakness, I don't, I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be super strong, emotionally strong, every turn, everything. I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to know all the answers. All I have to know is that I've got a mighty God that I serve. And if I serve a mighty God, he is always going to be there for me. And so if you're walking through one of those seasons where it just seems like, oh, God, when does it end? Know that there, the beginning of Isaiah says there's an ending. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. But the, the length of it sometimes is dependent it's upon our pride. Israel was in the desert for 40 years, which should not have taken them 40 years. It shouldn't have. Like months, if at best. But because their pride said, we know better than God, God said, watch this. 40 years going around and around with millions of people. Matter of fact, uh, their pride got them so much in the way that uh, most of the people that started out ended up dying off through a generation and they didn't even get to see the promised land because of their pride. What I'm telling you is, is your pride can keep you from the promised land of God for your life. Well, God, God has given me a promise. Yeah, but the promise is, is connected to the understanding and the obedience of following a mighty God. You can't want your promise and live in your problems. 
And so we have, a, we have a mighty God. Some of us are asking for God to show up in our lives, in our relationships, in our finances, in our emotions, in our addictions, in our jobs, in, in, in all sorts of different areas, but we're not willing to sacrifice first place for him. God, I want you to do this, but I just don't want to give up my pride or my ego to give you that. If I try to act strong on my own, why would God need to be mighty? So he's mighty God. He's wonderful counselor. And then he's everlasting father, eternally good, eternally just, eternally teaching and shaping, eternally loving, eternally protecting, eternally challenging and correcting. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever with the heart of a father for his children since the beginning. Don't sleep on that. Don't sleep on the fact that he is called everlasting father. And I think what, what gets really messed up is that in our culture, in this day and age, we have a really taint, we either have a really tainted view on Father or we have a really good view on Father. There's really not a whole lot of in between. Um, wasn't in my notes, but me and Stephanie were up Friday night, I think. <laughs> they all blend together, listen. We got on this kick of, well, we broke her heart a little bit um, because her, last, her, her maiden uh, name is Cedra. And we always thought that it was Italian. <laughs> yeah, you caught that too? Good, okay. Um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and uh, talk about an identity crisis when you thought your last name was something and you're like, oh, crap, what am I? If I'm not, th- what am I? So we, we started like just Googling stuff and, and, um, and, and we found out that Cedra actually belongs to like Egyptian or Jewish uh, heritage. It actually comes from the root word Sidra, uh, S-I-D-R-E. Um, and I don't know, she could tell you what it means. All of a sudden she's Jewish and she's Moses' son. I don't know, our daughter. Um, and and like, like, seriously, she's like, my people. I'm like, listen, Moses, calm down. <laughs> you don't even know anything yet, okay? Like, she, she went from Italian to, like, Jewish, like that. Like, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, and, and, I mean, you want to talk about an identity crisis. You know, all of a sudden she's all like, pasta to, like, let's eat letka. You know, like, it's, it's weird. Um, and so we're sitting there Friday night and we're doing all this genealogy stuff and we find out that she's actually only fourth generation American on, on, um, the Cedra side that actually they, they, and, and also broke her heart because she was like, I thought we came through New York and Ellis Island. Nope. You came through Hawaii. Sorry, chick. Um, and, uh, which isn't a bad way to come. Okay. If you're going to like, like, let's go to the islands that she, she actually came from Portugal right? And, and through Portugal to Hawaii to, to California, and then the Cedras set up shop on the West Coast. And, uh, but then on her mom's side, she was so excited because that's where the Italians kicked in. And when I say the Italians kicked in, I mean the Italians kicked in. Vincenzo Del Dato. Like, what? He ran the mob. You know that guy was in the mob. So all of a sudden, she started feeling like she needed to cook pasta again. I say, I say all of that because that is just the part of her family that we can trace. Now, she has a daddy, but she doesn't know her birth father. Now, my wife has had a, a, a father figure, a dad in her life since she was one years old, so she doesn't uh, long for, she could care less to know the, the, um, <laughs> the sperm donor, uh, but she, and honestly, at one point, we thought we needed to track him down for medical issues, and we were like, forget that, we don't need him anymore, we found out our answers, um, and, and so we don't, we don't care to know that, but, but that, I say all of that genealogy, all that confusion is just on one side, we have no clue what the redneck side is. We say that because I think he was from Alabama, I believe. Or I don't know. He was, she was conceived in Alabama. It was something like that. But, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like they're everywhere. She could easily have had a tainted view on, of, of, of what a father looked like. And when you bring that to God and you have that tainted view of what a father looks like, all of a sudden you start to go, well, if my father can't be good, if my earthly father can't be, then how can my eternal father be good? 
If that's your story, if that's your scenario, I want to I tell you this, that God is, is, is not like an eternal or an earthly father. He will never break your heart. He will never leave you stranded. He will never leave you questioning where are you or, or why didn't you come through or why didn't you do this. Earthly fathers, we make mistakes, but an eternal father, he is so good. He wanted to set the tone of what fathership, and, and dads, let me speak to you for a minute. He sets the tone of what fathership should look like. Just, good, teaching, loving, protecting, but yes, also challenging and correcting. He's a good dad. We couldn't worship him if he wasn't a good father. And then we get to the last one, Prince of Peace. And we talked about the God of Shalom, right? Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of of peace. This is what Jesus is called. Not just situational peace, but real peace. A lot of us, we find peace in a, a moment. Maybe it's, it's, it's solace. Maybe it's something, you know, that we have to enjoy, something that we do. But th- there is a peace that God wants to give you that has nothing to do with attached to a situational aspect. Peace that faces the giants of your life. The toughest moments where everybody thinks that you should be falling apart, but because God's got you, you are able to face the moment with the peace giver. I think back to our good friends in California, Erica and Jeff, and they've come and visit us here in in, uh, Arkansas. And we've walked through some really, really tough times with them and their family, the loss of their child at 16 years old suddenly. And I always, like, me and her would have conversations, and I would tell her, Erica, I'll be honest, my viewpoint of what should have happened was you should be a gigantic mess on the floor. Should. And she goes, you know, Scott, I believe the same thing. I really should be messed up. But, but, but... I believe that God has really allowed, now that doesn't mean that she hasn't struggled and that they didn't go through emotional wreckage and, and they didn't have to get counseling and, and all of that. They did all of the things that they knew that would, would help them be healthy. But man, I'm telling you to watch somebody walk through that knows Jesus, to walk through some of those hard times and you go, man, I feel like it should have been way worse than that. It's because the peace giver it's that peace that's uncontrollable, un- unexplainable. Uh, we, we don't know it until it hits us. This peace. Jesus t- told us in John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. It's not, and he even says, he goes, it's not like, it's not like the peace of this world that has to have a situation or finances or, or good times or right people attached to it, right, to have this peace. Oh man, I'm going out with my friends so I feel good so I have a peace about it. Or, you know, I finally have that, that amount of money that I think that a grown-up should have. I haven't found that money yet, by the way. Uh, but to, to give me peace, God says, no, 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 it's none of that. All of that can be good in the moment, but I'm talking about the peace when you're looking at your bills and even though you've tried to do it all right, it's still a little short or, or where you feel like you've been a good friend, but then the relationship goes uh, bad and you're like, what the heck? And it could ruin you and you could say, well, I'm a horrible person. And God goes, no, 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 let's, let's walk through this. I'm going to give you peace in this moment because God's peace isn't situational. It is continual. So you have to look at it in the context of the scripture in Isaiah where, where he's talking about this, this time that's going to come, this peace time that's going to come, this prince of peace that's going to come. There is a day of hope coming, and this is the one who will deliver it. That's what they were saying to him. They were saying to Israel, hey, listen, there's a day where, where all of the, 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 the darkness will become light. The war will become peace. This drudgery and this horribleness, it's going to end, and there is a person who is going to be bringing it, and he's going to bring it by way of peace. He is the prince of peace. My question is, do you have those four attributes of God? Do you understand those four attributes of Jesus? There's another one I want to add to that. Emmanuel. 
Now, we hear this as well, and, and as a young Christian, I always got confused. I'm like, well, what did they name him? What did they name little baby Jesus, right? Because in one place, it's, you know, they named him Emmanuel. In one place, it's, it's Jesus. I'm like, you know, uh, Jesus is actually, you know, then if you look at the Hebrew, it's Yeshua, which actually translates to Joshua. I'm like, who was he? Like, what was his name? Um, and not to confuse you, they named him Jesus, um, but there's all these different avenues of, of his name and what it means. And Isaiah, it says, Isaiah 7, 14, it says, all right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees you sees you in your hurt, sees you in your pain, sees you in your troubled times. And I want to uh, couple that with who Jesus is, Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't just see you, he walks with you. He doesn't just see you in your hurt, he walks with you in the toughest times and in the greatest times. He is a God who isn't afraid to get to roll up his sleeves and get, get a little dirty with you, to walk you through the, uh, the mess and, and, the, and the, the sin in your life and to see you come out the person who he has called you to be. God with us cannot just be a cute saying during Christmas. I think so many times we, we, we take these, these things in the Bible that are supposed to be powerful and we, we, we chalk them up to these cute little sayings. You know, Resurrection Sunday, and we get all cute about it. Resurrection Sunday was because somebody had to die on a cross, beaten and bloodied, literally had his back ripped from his bones, his beard pulled from his skin. Resurrection Sunday is not cute. It is the promise that one day we get to be with him for all eternity because he was willing to suffer. Well, the same thing with, with this Christmas story of God with us. God with us, although it's cute, this baby in a manger, if he would have never chose to come as a human, we would never have the connection to God the Father. Just think about that for a minute. The way we do church would look completely different. Today, you wouldn't have been allowed in here. You would have had to sit out there. And then I would have had to get dressed up in some priestly robe. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, you can't even wear slacks. What are you talking about? And they would have put jingle bells, which would have been a whole new meaning to that song, on my robe, and as I walk through those doors, because this is now the Holy of Holies, this is where the, the presence of God literally manifests itself, I would have to be so righteous in my lifestyle that when I walk through those doors and carry your rolled up sin for the year, not forgiven sin, rolled up sin, that when I come and slaughter the bull in our sanctuary, that I'm so holy that I don't die, and when the jingle bells stop, that would mean that I was dead, and the next priest is up. Who wants to be second? <laughs> Nobody wants to be second priest when the first one dies. No, no, that's you. You're good. Go for it. Better up. Because if the, if, if the first pastor wasn't good enough, to holy enough to, to, to be with Jesus, then why would I want to try? Aren't we thankful that God chose a redemptive way for him to live a life that we couldn't, to die a death that we should have so that we could have a relationship with him and we could do church like this instead of like that. God with us. It's a promise we live out daily in our lives. It changes us. It focuses us. It drives us because God is with us. If God is willing to do all of this for me and you and walk through life with me and you, I want to live on purpose for a purpose. I don't want to just go through life going, well, you know, what do I do? How do I live life? Oh, is this, I'm going to do this for the moment. I'm going to do this for the moment. Always trying and seeking to find purpose and to try to find joy instead of rooting myself in a foundation that no matter who I am, no matter what my job is, no matter what my, my title is, that I know who I am in Christ. I think it was Martin Luther that's, uh, that said that, you know, Martin Luther King that said, if you're going to uh, do everything to your best of your ability, if that means you're a street, street sweeper, be the best street sweeper that you possibly could be. That's what it means. It doesn't, who, what you do does not matter to God. It's who you are. 
You're not going to get up to heaven and be like, uh, the presidents and uh, uh, Congress and, and all of the dignities of all the world, you get to go into heaven first. Now, there's a whole joke there I'm just not going to say, okay? I'll leave it for your brain. I honestly think that if there was a roll call for heaven, it would be something like the least of these, the janitors, the, 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 the people who always got put down on because their job was never good enough, smart enough. I use the word sexy. People don't like it. Sexy enough. Because you know what I mean. Like a lawyer, like that's like, that's a, yeah, that's a cool job. Doctor, oh man, they get paid good money. Oh, I want to be, think about it. Every boy growing up always wants to be an athlete of some sort, even if they can't play. I'm going to be a basketball star. You're five foot five. Shut up. I can make that joke. I'm five foot seven and white. White boys can't jump. Okay. You've seen the movie. If not, you need to. It's not what you do. It's who you are. So God with us says that I can do something so amazing in life and never have what everybody thinks is success as long as I'm focused on him. That God so loved us that he gave Jesus so that we could have access to him fully. And that Jesus would be with us always and the Holy Spirit would guide us. It is his promise, God with us. God with us is that aspect that when we are at our lowest, we know that we're not walking alone. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world, but he also came to put a purpose in your heart. And I want you to hear that this morning. He did not just come to save you so that you could get to heaven. He, he came to save you so that you could live for a purpose today. That while you are here on earth, you make the most of it for the kingdom and enjoy doing it. The last title that Jesus has that I'm going to talk about today. Jesus is the I am. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, hold on, time out. God said he is the great I am. God said, I am that I am. Jesus did too. In John 8, 58, he says this. Jesus answered, he's talking, listen, I want you to set the scene of how awesome and bad Jesus is. Like, he is not this cute uh, God, you know, leaping through the daisies. Oh, I love you. Like, he's bad. He walked into the synagogue with Jewish priests, and he says this. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, you may be going, but that just seems so innocent. No, that statement should have got him killed on the spot. Because what Jesus was proclaiming was, he literally walked into the synagogue where the religious people were meeting, and he said, yeah, you know, Abraham, before he was born, I'm Yahweh it's like if somebody stood up and dropped the F word in church right now you'd be like (gasps) that's what Jesus just did because he walked into church where they don't even proclaim that name and he stood up and he said I'm that guy that's blasphemy to them that that by by Jewish standards they could have dragged Jesus out into the streets and stoned him to death that's what Jesus was saying he said, yeah, my father, he sent me. Yeah, the great I am, yeah, I'm, I am too. I am junior. It's who I am. So don't, don't sleep on such a simple statement that wasn't so simple. He was saying, I'm fulfilling everything God said back with Abraham and back with Moses. I'm fulfilling that. So I looked up some some I am statements, and I just want to run through these real quick so that you can understand all the times that Jesus said, I am. This is just a small collection. These are I am statements of Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 5, I am the vine. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 4, 26, he actually tells a woman at the well, I am the Messiah. And in context, 2020, we're like, yeah, no kidding, you're the Messiah. But imagine being that woman. She's a Samaritan woman who shouldn't even be talking to a Jewish man, let alone this guy comes out and says, hey, I'm God. (laughs) Okay. 
Because think about what would happen today if somebody walked up to you and been like, hey, I'm God. It, you'd be like, uh, okay, dude, whatever. You're crazy. And the Samaritan woman recognizes who Jesus is in her spirit. And he says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you're looking for. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. John 13, 13, I am teacher and Lord. John 15, 1, I am the grapevine and my father is the gardener. Jesus spoke these I am statements so that you would recognize. Every single time he said I am, he's really recognizing back to the point of what God, his father, told Moses. I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I'm sustainer. I can do all things. I am great. And if you allow me to be, I am going to just make your life so much better. Maybe not the way you want it, but better. Maybe not rich, but better. Maybe not perfect, maybe not always living in peace and your situations, maybe you struggle sometimes, but better. If you trust me, if you lean on me, if you understand that I am everything that you need. Matthew 14, 27 says this, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. I am here. As we walk through the end of this year, as we, we get ready for 2022 and all that that may entail, and oh Lord, I hope it just comes in, sits down, and acts quiet. Really do. Plays well with others. But my question becomes, what will that look like for you? Will you, will you take courage to know that Jesus is with you? That he's here with you? With Jesus making the I am statements, he was confirming his position next to God the Father. Take courage. I am here. I'm the hope. I'm the truth. I'm the love. I am the way. I'm everything you need and more. I'll never leave you, and I'll walk with you. So as we end, what do we do with all this? I mean, it's, it's great that we know who Jesus is, but what do we do with it? If you walk away from a, a, a Christmas service and you just go, eh, I've heard that before. I've heard all this stuff before, but you don't walk away changed. If you don't walk away with God doing something new in your life, then I'm going to challenge you that maybe you're not hearing God's words in your life the way that you need to. So let me give you a few things that we can do practically to live this out. The first is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Matthew 16, 15. Then he asked them, this is Jesus, but who do you say I am? It doesn't matter who I say he is matters what you say he is. Who is Jesus to you? I believe Jesus asked this of each of us because he doesn't want us to blindly follow religious paths, but a personal relationship with God. Don't give me a Sunday school answer. Who am I to you? Because that's what he was asking. He was asking the disciples, who, who, do they, who do they say I am? And they go, oh, some say that you're uh, John the Baptist. Some say that you're the prophet uh, Isaiah. Some say this, some say that. And he goes, no, 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 okay, fine, okay, I hear that. Who do you say I am? Hannah, who do you say I am? Sharice, who do you say I am? Who, 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 are you to, who am I to you? Because I don't care what the great prophets or, or the, uh, the other people out there, I, I'm asking you individually, who do you say I am and how are you going to live that out? Who do you say I am? Some of us need to wrestle with this question. We need to figure out if we really believe what we say when we call him Lord. We watched a, a movie on Tuesday. If you came, uh, uh, it was really powerful. But Matt Marr, a Christian artist, said this. I always believed in God, but I didn't know he believed in me. I love that. I always believed in God, but I didn't know that he believed in me. And I'm telling you that the great I am, the Jesus that I follow, he believes in me. He believes in you. And so you have to wrestle with the question, who do you say I am? The second thing that we need to do is we have to have the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and, and my whole point is this scripture. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Like, these are questions that I think we need to wrestle with. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one another, mind and purpose. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and what? Gave him the name above all names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is above all names and he asked us to carry his name with us. What makes the Christmas story so powerful is that it's personal. Jesus came to live a life, to die a death, so that we would carry his name with us everywhere we go. That we would carry his attitude with us everywhere. So, so when, when you have a bad day and you're ready to cuss somebody out, that, you know, that statement, what would Jesus do? Kind of an important statement. We made it really cheesy, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s. And if you're a teenager in that age group, you understand. I was, a, I was 15 years old uh, when that what would Jesus do thing came out. It got well overplayed and really corny. But it's so powerful. Because when you are ready to cuss that person out and you go, I've got every right to do that, you ask, would Jesus do that? Put others before you. Be humble. Be considerate. Be compassionate. What, wait, what, what, what did it say? Uh, let's see. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. How many recognize that that blows most of the ways that we respond to things out of the water? Well, I've got every right. You got every right to do what? To humble yourself and to love somebody? Yeah, you do. Well, I've got every right to give them a piece of my mind. But what if that keeps them away from Jesus? I think the reason why churches aren't full is because of Christians. <laughs> Personally. Right? Because we will come here and we will worship God the Father and then we'll walk out and when we have a bad day, we will tell somebody who they are. What if somebody did that to you? How bad do you feel when somebody tells you off and you feel bad about something or, or, or you get put in a situation where, where it hurts or somebody abuses you? And as Christians, it says, listen, you have to have the same attitude of Christ. You have to love one another. You have to have compassion and, and, and agree and, and, and work together. And you have to be selfish. selfless. Don't be selfish. That's a better way of saying it. Don't impress others. Be humble. Man, maybe, maybe you just need to go back and, and, and study and, and meditate on Philippians 2, 1 through 11 because it really is a great morning reminder. Hey, today, when the enemy tries to get at me with so-and-so or so-and-so or this situation, I'm going to put on the attitude of Christ because that's what I'm called to do because I want to carry his name to the glory of God. What did Uncle Ben, not the rice, but the... Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, I'm, I'm even, even more holier. What did he say? With great power comes great responsibility. With great power. When you carry the name of Jesus, it carries a responsibility. I carry his name, so I carry his attitude, his nature, and his purpose. It's not just what I want or what feels right, but what does God say? I'm going to end with this. Sharice, if you could come up and play the piano. What's the last thing that we can practically do? 2022 should be deemed the year of the messengers. The year of the messengers. Matter of fact, that was, I, I, I didn't even put two and two together when I was putting this message together, but that's actually what the chosen movie was called, The Chosen, The Messenger. There's a message, and there's messengers that got to get the message out. If there's a great message, but nobody to get it out, then what good does it do? 
by show of hands, who has already seen the new Spider-Man movie? Nope. Wow. My Facebook is lit up with everybody and their mother that's seen it, so I'm thankful that I'm not the only one. Feels like everybody but me has seen it. That's what social media does for you. Makes you feel like you're the last one to see anything. So thank you for joining my, my pity party of not seeing it yet. But think about this. When a good movie hits, what's the, I mean, you want to tell somebody. I can't tell you how many memes I've seen on Facebook in the two days that it's been out that, that shows that kid that looks like he's about to pop a vein in his forehead saying, me trying to be a good friend not to tell you what's, uh, what happened in Spider-Man. It's, if you go to a good restaurant, you don't just hide it. Most of the time, you annoyingly share it. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you're like over here with selfies and telling everybody that, you know, it's better than your mom's home-cooked meal unless your mom doesn't cook very well, and then it's definitely better. So we share it. We share it. If, if somebody goes, oh, cute, whatever. I don't know. I just... I jump in the closet and close, you know, just pop on. But girls, you guys, I don't know, you're, you're a little more into to, to whatever. I'll watch my wife sit there and stare at her clothes. I'm like, what are you waiting for? What's going to happen? But what happens is, is that she always looks better than me. Amen. Um, and, and people go, where did you get that? And then she tells you. Why? Because she loves the fact that you thought that she loved, looked cute, and she wants to tell you where you can go buy cute clothes too. We do this with everything, and then we get to Jesus, and we're like, well, I don't want to offend you by pushing my religion on you. If he's the greatest thing that ever happened to you, why would, it you, why would you not want to tell people about him? If you believe the message, then the people you don't tell, the people you don't tell, may be missing their opportunity to heaven. Romans 10, 15. I've always loved this scripture. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Hey, if you've ever wondered, well, I, I don't know if I'm being called to preach the gospel. You're, you don't have to be called to preach the gospel. You're called to live the gospel. Few are given the responsibility of preaching the gospel like this. It's a different type of leadership. But every last one of us are called to live the gospel. Every last one of us are called to share the name of Jesus, to live the name of Jesus. It's me and you. Because of a baby in a manger, I get to be a messenger. And I want to live to tell his story and how it changed my story. I want to be a good news bringer, a hope dealer, and a light bearer. This world's got enough people trying to tell you all the bad stuff and all the negativity. What if you took on the charge of being a messenger of God and sharing the hope of Jesus when that person's walking through it? can't tell you how many times I jump on Facebook and all I see is sad negativity. I was reading somebody's uh, year-end thing, and I've, I, man, it broke my heart. It, it like literally broke my heart to the point to where I, I, I reached out to him. I was like, I just need to let you know, first and foremost, like God has you. That we would move in such a way that we carry the light of Christ everywhere we go. Not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But man, don't use that as an excuse to just tell somebody off or to make a bad decision. Say, God will forgive me. No, 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 no. I want to live in such a way that brings God glory with everything that I do. I want to be a messenger of Christ. And you may go, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be made fun of and I don't want people to look at it. Listen, some of the greatest people, sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone to bring people to Jesus. And if heaven is worth it, then it's okay to be a little weird. If, if John the Baptist could live out in the uh, wilderness and, and wear camel clothes and eat locusts and people came to him, then you can be normal and show Jesus off. That's my prayer for you. 
that as we end this year, we focus in, who is Jesus to me? Help me to carry the attitude of Christ. I want to be a messenger because of who Jesus is. Will you pray with me? God, if we wrap up, in essence, 2021 here at Freedom, oh, it's real easy, God, to say the last two years have not looked how we thought it would look and get stuck there. But God, I believe that you have something far greater, not just as a corporate body, but individually what you want to do. God, I look out into our our people, those that are here, those that are traveling, those that are uh, sick. God, I know what you have in store for their lives. God, you have more, you have greater. And, 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 and it may look like a mess. It may look like a, a really bad situation, but I believe that what you want to do in their lives is to get you to trust them more. God, to, to sit and, and to understand you better. God, I pray that this would be a year that we challenge ourselves. I want to get to know Jesus better. That God, that we would be like Paul, forsaking all that is behind me, I press forward to the mark that is before me. Because of what Jesus did, because Jesus came as a baby, I get to be a messenger, and I get to live out a lifestyle that is going to draw people to heaven. But God, help us to wrestle with these questions. Wrestle with the question of who you are to us. Wrestle with, are we carrying the attitude of Christ? Because if we believe you are who you say you are, And that means that we need to live in a way that shows you off to this world. So God, I proclaim your 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 the year ahead for each person here to be one filled with growth, one to be filled with excitement, one to be filled with a spiritual journey that they could even never fathom or believe. God, I believe that you want to be a life-changing God here in this room with these people. And so, God, if that means addictions need to fall, if that means chains need to fall, if that means, uh, God, that the things that we've been holding on to, bad relationships or, or job change or whatever it, it is for each individual person in this room, God, I believe that there is something that we are to be stretching out forth towards you and asking God, do something in this year that we couldn't do on our own. Challenge us. Equip us. Encourage us. We proclaim that in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 